Welcome back. You are listening to episode 25 of Double Hop Beat, a bi-weekly podcast taking the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, home brewer and beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, and I am a beer intermediate. This week we will be talking about beer that kills. So beer and true crime. But first, let's go to check in with James on his home brewing. So home brewing's been going pretty well for me uh, these last couple weeks. I've been doing double batches of my brews, so I'm producing a lot more beer than I'm used to, Mm -hmm. and I'm finding that I'm running out of kegs faster than I can get rid of it, so at least we can can, so it's saving up those two kegs that I keep rotating out. And then today, actually, so in a previous episode, we were talking about the impact of online retail and everything to homebrew shops and your, your local homebrew shops. So it was actually a sad day. I found out that the homebrew store where it all started for me, that my dad got me my first homebrew kit that really got me into brewing all those years ago, is actually closing. I know. It's very sad. It's end of an era. So it seems like online retail is really um, hurting homebrew shops, and especially those homebrew shops that have kind of diversified and tried to do like a brewery on the side kind of a thing, like Mm -hmm. a combination um, so, but I mean, the good news is, um, our beer family got a little bit larger. Yeah. So now I'll have <laughs> two bright tanks. Uh, the deal was just yep. too good to pass up cause they needed to, um, everything must go. Everything must go. So when yeah. everything must go, James will go. I guess you could say that the online retail is killing homebrew stores. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> they're just getting away with it. It seems getting away with murder. So my dry hop. I had added to my blonde and my IPAs. Uh, the blonde ale, not too much because I don't want it to be a hoppy beer. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to not be hoppy. So it's going to be happy, not hoppy. <laughs> and they both hit their final gravity. They kind of stalled out for a little while. And I was trying to get them as close to the final gravity as possible. But because we have our trip with our friends coming up, I wanted to yep. make sure it would have enough time to carbonate in mm-hmm. the kegs before we canned. And we briefly talked about how we did our canning last time and what we kind of learned from it. And one thing I forgot to mention in that last episode was I will also be increasing um, how much carbonation my beer is going to have. Because, Shan, you've noticed with my beer, it's carbonated, but it doesn't have as much head as I would have liked. It's like a subtle carbonation. Yeah, it's like what it is right now. So you need some more carbonation when you put it into that. And when you, you're talking that kind of carbonation, it's like the head. It doesn't have much head on it. Yeah. Uh, not carbonation where you can't see, whereas people in the brewery that don't aren't familiar with beer call it bubbles. That's what I was about to the say. Beer. There's still bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's not like it's plenty good on that end. It's just the, the head that yeah. it's losing a little bit of that aromatics. Like when you pour it the into head. the glass, you're not like, oh, look at this. It's like, oh. It's beer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's definitely a learning experience. So I was going by the table of how much um, carbonation per volume to use. So I'm just going to increase it from uh, about 12 PSI to 13 to 14 PSI before I uh, can, which I'll do at like a 5 PSI just to get it in there. Okay. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. So looking forward to that. So, Shan, since you have been, we've talked a little bit about what you thought about Mm -hmm. the Spice Dale, why don't you do a taste review? I won't be slighted (laughs) on what you say. And so, typically, when these are judged, they're 
judge based on like the style. So kind of we're going to touch on this in a future episode on competitions, but it's kind of strategic on what you submit your beer as. So you could submit Mm -hmm. the same beer in multiple different categories Okay. and it might do better or worse. So it's kind of like you just kind of play with whatever you're going with. We'll talk about that more, but I didn't want to get that involved in this one. So why don't you just talk about what flavors you taste with the beer um, if there's any aroma and body. So why don't we do, okay. why don't we do the, why don't we start with those? This is my beginner's review of beer. Now that you're an intermediate, you know, you gotta. I know, but now I feel pressure. I feel like I'm, I'm on the spot. Um, okay. So I taste, uh, well, it's a spiced ale and I definitely taste the spice. It is, got, I, for me, it's like a little bit of like nutmeg, cinnamon, clovey flavor i don't know if any of those are actually yeah uh, nutmeg and cloves was like the majority of that um it did have some cinnamon but very minimal cinnamon i didn't want it to be overpowering especially Mm -hmm. because i'm not a big fan of like overly cinnamon beers and if you really want to you could do like the cinnamon on the rim for the glass to add the cinnamon if you really thought that was lost i don't think i don't think you need that but you taste kind of like caramel and like a little bit of maltiness in it too um I, I would say the malt, yes, but I don't, I didn't specifically get caramel Yeah, so like flavoring, the, the so. malts that I used were kind of subtle in the caramel. It's not going to be okay. like something that you're going to notice. Okay. Then, I mean, yeah, I didn't really notice it. Uh, but to me, sometimes caramel in my mind is supposed to be sweet. Like, but I think it usually for others can be just more like a richer flavor, um, so I know, I guess when I think caramel, I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be like, you yeah, know, you're like caramel macchiato caramel. Yeah. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I think it's not necessarily that type of caramel flavor. All so. right. Right on. Right on. What about um, uh, aromas? What kind of aromas? Other than it smells like Christmas. I, I think I when, you, when you first had it. I really have an opinion on the aroma. I mean, it didn't smell bad. But, it's, but like, what kind of note notes did oh, you gosh. get is what they say. When you kind of, before you take ones. a sip, like spice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what it's, that's all it should be. So. This style of beer, you shouldn't get a hoppy aroma. You shouldn't get no, that it definitely wasn't full that. aroma, which yeah. is good. That's what you don't want. Yeah. All right. So right on. And I think it was a very light beer to me. Like it was, it was very drinkable. Drinkable for a six and a half percent. Not bad. Oh, it's six. And a half. I thought it was four and a half. No, six and a half. What? No, I'm, I'm just, I'm, like, messing with, I'm messing with you. It's four and a half. I four and a half on it's, the can. I'm messing with you. It's False four and a half. It's four and a half. Yeah. I was just messing with you. But yeah, it's a very drinkable beer, even mm-hmm. though it's got that dark color, right? What kind of color would you I say? I wouldn't that? say it's dark. Would I you say it's like a I would amber say, color? Yeah, I'd say it's more amber, gold, like like a gold, amber, like a golden. golden. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was going for. So okay. I'm glad it wasn't. I just feel like I'm you're glad it wasn't yourself. I'm glad it wasn't like bra- like a brown color. That would have been like no, it wasn't good. that. No, you're the other one that you did the winter. Uh, yeah, the the winter one experimental dark. one yeah, that I did. That, that was, was a lot one. darker, yeah. Which came out really good. I definitely want to try that on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. So do you know what body means, Shannon? Other than like... Body like a back road. Uh, sorry. No, not that kind <laughs> of body. No, what? Explain to me, please. Okay, so what? Bo- when people refer to a body of a beer, um, that's kind of talking about your palate fullness or the feel of the okay. beer in the mouth so how it like fills up your mouth almost yeah like mouth feel like a lot of people okay. be like oh it had good mouth feel or like you know it had okay. great body or it was a little lacking you know so this 
was targeting a medium to a medium full body. Okay, I'd say it was closer to medium. Yeah, so that's exactly what I was shooting for. So to achieve a medium-bodied beer, um, I was shooting for my mash temperature to be about 153 to 154 to kind of meet that profile of a medium body. And all that means through that temperature was I was hoping that you'd convert the starches to about the same amount of sugars. Mm -hmm. So then you look at your final gravity, and it will tell you whether your yeast was able to convert more sugars into alcohol, which will result in a slightly drier, medium-bodied beer. And it will have a little sweetness, Mm -hmm. but it won't be overpowering. So what do you think of that? Do you think it would be, so you said medium-bodied? You think that follows that? Yeah, I'd say medium-bodied. I don't think I'd say it was drier, but but I also could just not be very adversed in what drier is supposed to feel like. (laughs) What dry is supposed to feel like? I don't know. I mean... I feel I know what like dry wine feel tastes like or feels like, and I don't know if that's similar to when a beer is supposed to be drier, but I don't know. I didn't think it was dry. Well, opposite of dry is wet and really. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for that insight. Yeah, so Sherlock, we're getting into true crime <laughs> now. Shannon's a big true crime fan, so it yes, kind of I've, inspired this episode. I've been watching CSI since. I don't know, whenever the first season came out, which I was probably like 10 or 11 at the time. I don't know why my dad let me watch CSI at that age, but we watched it together. So family bonding. Yeah. How great. Like, <laughs> hey, daughter, check out this guy who just got murdered or like, yeah, yeah not not necessarily something I would show our do- future daughter if we had one. Yeah. I mean, it inspired me to take forensic in, in high school. So I mean, so like true crime is so popular right now. It's like craft beer. It's such a boom. And I think mm-hmm. there's way too many CSIs personally. Well, CSI is not as popular anymore, but we won't get into I that. mean, now they just have like all these other spin-off, all these other ones. But Yeah, anyways. So speaking of floods um, and you love history, <laughs> uh, yeah. one of the kind of events that's happened in history that a lot of people don't know about and it relates to beer would be the London Beer Flood of 1814. Okay, that sounds interesting and also very terrifying. Yeah, so it was October 17th, 1814, and Horseshoe Brewery, which had about a tank of eight to 9,000 barrels of porter, flooded the neighborhood of St. Giles. Rookery. Rookery, yeah. And it was a basically so back in the 1800s and even 1900s, there was no stainless equipment Mm -hmm. that you see in breweries today. It was all made out of wood, Mm -hmm. which then had like steel um, rings or hoops that would go around to kind of keep it Kind of like the water tanks you see in New York City, like on top of the buildings. Similar to that, like, construction. Yeah, I guess. I don't think I've noticed huge wooden barrels in New York City. You've never seen the water towers on top of the cities? I mean, the... In New York City, though, on the top of the buildings? I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, look next time you're there. So, yeah, that 9,000 barrels of porter uh, burst and ended up in flooding the nearby neighborhoods. And the sad thing about this story is this was also a very poor neighborhood. And Ugh. every all, all the kind of residents were very yeah. poor. And it was also during the time of day that this happened. There was a lot of children and uh, mm. mothers still at home. That stinks. And a lot of the times... That these, uh, this neighborhood was all kind of, 
below street level would be like you kind of go down into your living quarters. Yeah. So it was below like street level. So so, so you put it made liquid. For very easy flooding. Exactly. Okay. That's terrible. Well, because these people probably worked at the plant or where they were making this beer. Like there was probably a lot of, you know, people who worked in the factories and things like that living in this area. And there was eight deaths and two houses were demolished afterwards uh, as a result. And that may not seem like a lot, but at the time... I mean, one death is is a lot. Eight deaths is an extremely large number for an accident of this caliber. And so after the accident, uh, the local police would... In watchmen, as they called it, mm-hmm. would charge people a penny or two pence to see the ruins of the beer vats. That's terrible. So and that's just a report. These people dying. They denied it, but uh, oh the witnesses there did say that was taking place. And according to the Independent, brewers weren't charged, as the jury considered this to be an act of God. An act of God. An act Having of God. Having the metal ring snap on burst those tanks. your tank. I doubt it. I think they need to check in with God and get some clarification on what an act of God is. And, like, <laughs> interestingly enough, like, earlier in the day, there was mm-hmm. reports that there was indication that the metal hoops holding the vat together were snapping, and they thought it was unstable. So That's they thought terrible. it was unstable, yet, you know, it wasn't prevented. And this is where, like, true crime, I guess, like, you're more familiar than I am. Yeah. But this really got me, like, going was the owners of the company – they received a refund for the excise duty mm-hmm. that they had paid to produce the beer that they lost. So in the next 9,000 barrels that they produced, they weren't charged the excise duty to recoup from that event. That's insane. I, I mean, in this time, the 1800s, it's honestly and unfortunately not surprising. It was like that until the early 1900s. There was no quality of work. For, like, your working conditions didn't matter to these people. No. So. They just wanted to make a buck, so it's really not surprising to me that that happened. And the Horseshoe Brewery closed in 1921 when it was finally replaced by Dominion Theater. So now it's a now it's a theater. A theater. Oh, interesting. Okay. So the pictures of it were pretty interesting, and it was mostly sketches because at yeah. the time, like well, the newspapers would sketch, the, which was eight, kind. It's 1814. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but it was just like crazy to see, and it's just something in history that. I guess you don't really, like, a lot of people, like, I didn't know. Yeah. I, I knew about the Great I Molasses, mean, yeah, say, the Molasses Flood familiar. in Boston. But mm-hmm. I guess if you live in the London area, it might be, like, yeah, us it's with like, the Molasses Flood. It's but. like when you live in Chicago, you hear, you hear about the Great Fire probably more often than other people do who don't live in Chicago. So. Yeah, so brewery safety, that's why it's so important yeah, today. And I know. It's just one of those things where it's better like i see youtube videos all the time of these breweries and like someone will open the wrong valve and it just the pressure is so high that it just shoot on basically empties their 2000 gallon tank like every and the pressure is like a fire hydrant like going off it's very dangerous and costly yeah i mean the psi on some of those tanks is like insane yeah so. so for you home brewers out there just be sure when you do pressurize your equipment, uh, just mm-hmm. to be mindful of it, that it's pressurized. Uh, anyone that's going to be in your house or your home brewery or anything, just make sure that you also let them know so that you don't have any accidents. And Safety first. And never put your face in front of basically your valves or your inlets or outlets. Okay. It's It seems like common sense, but you would be surprised of how many people, when they 
open like their valves to their tanks they just their face is just right there because yeah. they just don't think about it yeah well. uh, so just always keep your face away from any entry point where especially with pressurized tanks thanks for that that's my little sa- that's my little public service public announcement service announcement okay well if you thought that was depressing i regret to inform you that there is more depressing information ahead so uh, we are curious. This is, that, that's a phrase that a lot of husbands hear, and it's just like, oh, God, what did yeah. I do? <laughs> so after enjoying a smutty nose brew, we are curious uh, as to where the name came from. And so it turns out that smutty nose is named after an island off the coast of New Hampshire. It's kind of like the New Hampshire main line. There's like the state line kind of goes in between. Um, it's called the Isle of Shoals. And so they're on this island called Smutty Nose Island was a double murder again in the 1800s so people are crazy in the 1800s they're just i do declare there was a there, murder there has been a murder uh so the isle of shoals is a group of small islands and tidal ledges about six miles off of the east coast straddling the border of maine and new hampshire and our story takes place in 1873 so john and Marin Hontvet. Uh, moved to Smutty Nose Island in 1868 after immigrating from Norway, and they were the only people that lived out on that island. John worked as a fisherman, and he would bring in his fish and then go back to Portsmouth to sell it. Um, and then he would also like pick up some bait and go home, where he would hang out with his wife, and she would be there tending house. And they had a dog named Ringe. Having which, a nice island life, island living. Yeah, but, I mean, you've been to a, an island off the coast of where we live and it is not necessarily <laughs> the most it's, it's not, not like paradise. a Caribbean island it's very rocky and windy and half the year you're like don't want to go outside because it's too cold but so they lived there for two years by themselves uh and then they met a gentleman named Louis Wagner he sounds like trouble yeah so he was from Prussia and he was 28 years old and he used to fish off the coast of their island so that's kind of how they ran into each other um John was out one day and they just crossed paths and struck up a, a relationship. And so then in 1872, Marin's sister Karen, which is Karen, oh God, Karen. it's gonna be Karen. Karen's gonna kill somebody. Yeah, everyone has a Karen. Uh, a Karen. So Karen arrived from Norway. And at the same year that she arrived, John hired uh, Wagner to work with him as a fisherman because he his business was starting to grow, so he needed some more hands to help him out. Um, so he agreed to take him on in exchange for allowing Wagner to live in their home on the island. Also in 1872, so later in that year, and it, it seems like there's going to be a lot of people that keep coming into this story, but believe me, they are it's, they're central. To I was going to say, is this one of those like true crime things where you say a bunch of names and then at the very end it's like, Louis the Third came in no. and killed everybody, and you're just like, "Where did that come from? Why? No. Did you, like, what?" They're all they're all important to the story, so that's okay. Just yeah. just check don't it. worry. Okay. it'll all come back around. So in October 1872, Marin's brother Matthew and her, John's brother Ivan and his wife Annette uh, arrived from Norway. So now there are, let's see, six people living. No, seven people, including Karen, living in this home. Um. So. Or no, Karen, sorry, she left to go get a job as a live-in maid. So she left, so there's only six people living on the island at the time. So Wagner was like, well, I feel like there's too many people here for me. Six just people gonna... on an island too many. Yeah. <laughs> Seven, like, like, all right, five is good, six, like, forget it. Like, like, that's my threshold. That's, a, that's my threshold. Yeah, so 
he was like, I don't feel like John needs my help as much, so I'm going to go join or get a job on this fishing schooner. So he leaves the island. So now it's just John, his brother Ivan, uh, Marin's brother Matthew, and Annette, who is um, Ivan's wife. Annette? So, yes. Annette catch a fish? What? Was no. her last name catch a fish? No, her name was not. That was not her last name. It's an interesting name. Um, so... They all lived together, uh, and Wagner, like I said, left to work on the schooner, but not, not long after he left them, the schooner that he was working on was wrecked. So then he didn't have a job. Uh, he had to work along the wharfs and barely made a livable wage, and by March of 1873, is he was destitute. He had nothing. He was basically homeless, had no money, was just scrounging around um, trying to make ends meet. So... Just bring that's kind of the the backstory before the event. So, right, so March, Wagner's got yeah. no money. So yeah, right? he's he's desperate. But he's still living on the island. No, he's he's just like in Portsmouth, hanging out, trying to find jobs, and okay. he has no money. So he's so hang, he's, he's like just a, hanging out, like yeah. Okay. So on March fifth, eighteen seventy three, John, Ivan, and Matthew set out like they usually do from Smutty Nose Island on a three hour tour. Yeah, yeah, on a three hour tour. Yes. Um, and so they had told a neighbor. Uh, so there's. Not a neighbor on the island, but there's close islands close by, and so they used to like. So uh, your neighbor is like not your next door neighbor. It's like, oh yeah, I have an island, island, but yeah, yeah, the island over there is our neighbor's. Yeah, so they left, and they said to the neighbor, "Can you just let the women know, Karen, Marin, and Annette, uh, that we will be home later this evening if the baits come in, if the bait comes. So if the bait doesn't come, we're gonna stay over, um, and we're gonna come home in the morning." Yo, neighbor, let the women know. Men are gone. What up? (laughs) Okay. I don't know if that's how he talked, but okay. So once the men got to Portsmouth, they ran into Wagner and they were saying to him, you know, Wagner. Yeah. Hey, we're trying to like, we're going to pick up our shipment of the bait. Um, if we don't get it today, we're going to go, uh, home tomorrow. So we're going to stay over here. Like, can you help us? Uh, we'll hire you out to help us load the bait once it arrives. So John was like, okay. But in the back of his mind, he was like, huh, I've got an idea. So he thought that this would be a great opportunity to rob the island because he was like, well, I know John's business is going great because he's got these two people working for him. Like he, he's got a boom in business going on. So maybe I should take advantage of this because I have nothing. So he found out that the bait never arrived, which meant the men would be staying in Portsmouth for the night. And so he was like, huh, look at this dory over here, which is a little boat. Not the fish. No, not the fish. Oh, and he rode... 12 mi- I, twelve mile, mile 12. 12 miles. Wow. He rode the boat 12 miles to the Smutty Nose Island. Man, he should have just By been hand. like an Olympic athlete. That's crazy. 12 miles. Yeah, so meanwhile, while he's making this journey, the women are waiting around because they're not aware that the bait didn't come. So they were like, okay, we'll wait until it's like a little bit later and then we'll just go to bed and assume they're coming home in the morning. There was no, obviously, cell phones or way to tell them, so... Uh, so they went to bed and after they went to sleep is when Wagner made his approach. So he showed up on the island and he uh, found the front door unlocked because you're the only people that live on this island. Why do you need to lock your front door, you know? And so he entered the home um, and he actually blocked the door where Marin and Annette were sleeping. So Karen was like in the living room area um, and Marin and Annette were in the bedroom. And so when he entered, Karen woke up and thought that she, he was John. So she was like, oh, John, what are you doing? You scared me. John, John. Yeah, so that woke up oh God. Uh, Marin and Annette, and they're like, what's going on? So be- J- Wagner, who thought this was going to be just a simple 
break, enter, seal the money, get out. A simple break in after 12 yeah. miles of rowing. Yeah. So he was like, crap. So he stupidly took a chair, like this is horrible, and he attacked Karen with it. So now these that other women, violent. yeah. So these other women are trapped in the bedroom. They have no idea what's going on. They think it's John because that's who Karen said it was. So Wagner's just going around picking up chairs, just whacking Karen, like. Yeah, it's horrible. Oh. Yeah. So um, Karen eventually managed, like they unlocked the door. Karen went to the bedroom, and they tried to lock the door so Wagner couldn't get in. Um, and while that was happening, Annette decided to climb out the window. Annette's like, screw Karen and everybody well, else. She, I mean, I'm it's self-preservation. She's got to get out of there. I so am out. She, uh, I mean, they had just seen Wagner, like, hit Karen with a chair. Like, who? that's, like, not something you're expecting. Uh, so she ran out. She got out the window. And then Wagner, because the bedroom door was closed, he was like, fine, I'm just going to go outside and try to get in some other way. So he went outside, and that's where he ran into Annette. Oh, poor Annette. What's yeah. happening? What happened? Uh, and so, unfortunately, there was an axe by the wood pile, and he took the axe, and he killed Annette. So he went from a chair to an yes. axe. So if this mm-hmm. was Clue, I'd be like, Wagner with an axe Yeah. So on Annette. So then, I guess that wasn't... I mean, I feel like if I, if I was trying to burglarize someone and someone woke up, I'd be like, I'm just out of here. Like, I don't need to escalate this any further, but apparently he doesn't think that way. So then he went back in the house. He went back um, in what Yeah. Happened? So he went back in and unfortunately he also killed Karen. So he finished her off. Uh, and Wow. Mar- yeah. So Marin was able to escape out the same window that Annette did. Um, she grabbed the dog. Thank goodness. Uh, and warm clothes. And she was able to escape um, and ran and hid behind two rocks with her dog. So then all night she sat there with the dog and they're all like keep each other warm. I feel... I feel like he, like, Wagner, like, over-exaggerated here. Like, I just think he didn't have he was a like, plan. Like, yeah, but, like, they knew. It's not like they didn't know each other. So, like, why wouldn't he just be like, oh, hey, like, the bait didn't come. Well, because, and realizing that his yeah. plan was, like, no longer going to happen. and it all Because I think he was so desperate that it, people just do anything. You know what? He's a money. psycho, okay? Yeah, Wagner, like, God, what a psycho. Yeah, so then he went out looking for her. And when he couldn't find her, he ended up leaving. Um, but, oh, but sorry, before he left, he decided to go back into the house and just, you know, eat their bread and their tea and hung out for a little bit. Oh, like, wow. what? Uh, and in the end, he took uh, $15, which is, I mean, in today's money, that is only $321.22. So he just killed two women for a little over $300 in wow. today's money. That is, like, ridiculous. So. It wasn't until the next morning where Marin could get the attention of someone on the neighboring island. Uh, and then they were, the men came home and discovered what had happened. Luckily, though, um, they were able to get, they knew it was Wagner. So they were able to give the police a sketch. Uh, they were captured him the same night in Boston because he had taken a train there. Uh, he was found guilty and put in jail in Maine. But a week later, he escaped. So now he's on the run. Uh, but then he was recaptured, thankfully, on my birthday. Wow. Not like it's good. That's not good to happen. I mean, I guess it's good they recaptured him. But so on my birth on my birthday, he was hung and died. So he was put well, to good death. Good um, And then John and Marin obviously moved off to Ireland. We wouldn't want to stay there after that happened. Um, and Ivan went back to Norway because he had nothing to keep him there anymore. Uh, and so that unfortunately is a terrible story of Smutty Nose Island. And that is what Smutty Nose Brewery is named after. 
that island. And next time you look at a smutty, no- I will never look at a smutty nose beer the same anymore with like the cute little I seal, know, it's on, the seal on the front. And now I'm just gonna think of poor, oh. poor Karen and Annette. Yeah, I'll have to so. drink to um, Karen and Annette next time. So okay. if you have a smutty nose beer, drink to Karen and Annette. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. Just like true crime. That's why I do not like true crime. <laughs> I do not like it. But you know what? There okay. we are. Well, you learn something new every day. Uh, so another story <laughs> that has to do with beer and killing. Um, it's not, I mean, it's not funny. Beer that kills. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's not, it's not funny because there's a homicide involved, but it is pretty ridiculous that, uh, this person killed someone over a spilt beer on the upholstery of his car. Yeah. That's like, another, that's, seems like another overreaction. There you yeah. go. Like, okay, you just spilt beer on my car. Like, let me shoot you. That's horrible. Note to self, do not spill anything in someone's car. Yeah. And yeah. Also, yeah. why do you have open containers in a car? That's illegal. But, well, I guess not in all states. Anyways. <laughs> I mean, like, beer that kills is also, like, beer that, like, ends up being the difference between people getting away and people getting caught. Mm-hmm. And this all comes around through, like, DNA testing, the advancements in genealogies. And one of these unsolved murders and crimes that, like, we hear about was solved through beer. Yeah. It's true. And in one of the stories, there was a murder of a Denver student from Wheaton College, and it went unsolved for decades. This poor girl, mm-hmm. she was 21 years old, a Wheaton College student, aspiring journalist, and she was kidnapped on her way home from her internship at the Denver radio station. And her body was found in a remote field in 1980. Mm-hmm. God, I... These are just so depressing. Oh. I know it is very depressing, um, but I think this this story, I mean, it's obviously dark and is someone lost their life, but I think it's it's uplifting how the advancement in technologies have enabled her killer to be caught. Um, so one of the things they did originally was put to the um, was it a witness was put under hypnosis? Yeah, and someone who uh, last I guess saw her or saw that she got with kidnapped the, with the yeah. person. Yeah. Uh, they created a sketch from the description, which usually, like, they're pretty far off. Uh, the description, I guess, under hypnosis maybe had something to do with it. I'm not sure why that, like... I don't know. I feel like that could be, like, hit or miss. Like, some people will be like, oh, that's great. It's like recovered memories, but some people don't believe in recovered memories, so therefore it wouldn't have validity. Yeah, so there was a sketch that they provided from the victim, and it eliminated some suspects that they had, which included two men who separately confessed to the crime. So it was like those people that just confess just because they want, they, they just the want notoriety the notoriety. They could have something else mentally. And so this them. was one of those cases that just went cold. Mm-hmm. And this case ended up getting revisited in 1997, 2013, and 2017. Wow. And nothing came out of each one of those until 2018, where forensic genealogy started becoming more prevalent in DNA testing. Mm-hmm. And so after they ruled out some other relatives by using this online genealogy database mm-hmm. in 2019. Because they had DNA from the killer. Yeah, so they so had they, DNA from the killer at the scene on her jacket. Yeah. And I'm not going to get into specifics yeah. on what that DNA you, was. I think everyone that's can disgusting. infer that from 
Well, don't have to bring that up. But okay. I, I, I was tra- I'm traumatized. That's why okay. I don't, I don't. Well, like these. they found his DNA on the scene, and therefore, but they didn't know who it belonged to. So right. they were trying to use these geneal- genealogy sites to connect. They can like see distant, distant, distant relatives and try to like connect it back to the person they think is a suspect. Okay, so in 2019, the detectives um, had kind of were trying to get this one relative. They knew DNA. who they were going for. They knew who they were going for because yeah. they kind of through a process of elimination and they just needed to get this person's DNA. So the detective yep. watched uh, James Curtis Clanton enter this dive bar in Florida City and he ordered bottles and bottles of beer, but he poured them into one mug and yes. he kept using the same mug. So it wasn't like the beer bottle. Like so he was trying to avoid his DNA. He was trying exa- exactly. Taken. And the bartender was tipped off before that this guy could be coming in. So the bartender, after the guy was said he was done drinking, collected the mug as evidence. Mm-hmm. And the beer mug ended up linking this truck driver to uh, the brutal rape and murder that took place 40 years prior. So it took 40 years. Yeah. And so the, this DNA from the mug, which he had to get that beer and he yep. was drinking out of that mug, ended up linking him to the DNA at the crime scene. So 40 years later, they mm-hmm. solved the mystery because this guy decided to have some beers at a dive bar in Florida. Beer saves the day. Yeah. So that, yeah. I guess that's a good good ending. And I kind of like that because most of the time it's like, oh, they got away. Or, yeah. Although I guess Wep, Wagner got hung, but. Years I mean, later. I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot of cases that are still cold as well that I think that this technology and this new development is going to help out a lot. But the tricky part is getting the DNA from people because of the CSI effect where everyone's aware of DNA and trace evidence you can leave. Um, like, they are more cautious about not leaving DNA, like cigarette butts or tissues and stuff lying around. So this is a very, it was a good ending. I'm glad that that family got closure um, after 40 years. That's a long time to not know. And if you are curious, there are the mug, the drawings that the sketch, and it puts. Yeah, the it looks two like together. exactly like it. And w- I was surprised at how close, like yeah. it actually was, especially for being under hypnosis. That's surprising. But so in a non, well, I guess it's another tragic. <laughs> ca- they're all tragic cases. Who am I kidding? Like true crimes, tragic. Yes. Uh, but related to beer, Adolf Kors the third, the famous kidnapping and mm-hmm. death. I think that that was probably like. When I was looking for ideas for this episode, this was one of those ones that I was like, okay, this is pretty big. And this was yeah. probably one of the leading stories of the time period. And this occurred February 9th, 1960. So instead of being, you know, in the 1800s, like the first couple of stories, now we're getting into like modern day. Modern day. <laughs> Close. But so the, Adolf Kors third was the grandson of the Kors founder. And he was the chairman of the Golden Colorado Brewery. And he was kidnapped and held for ransom. So do you think that's going to go over good? No. No. So he's gone. They, he doesn't show up to work. They're, they don't know where he is. And witnesses say they spotted a yellow mercury in the area where Adolf Kors was last seen. And in the days leading up to the abduction... They saw this yellow mercury. Mm-hmm. So it, I guess like there wasn't that many yellow mercuries back then. I mean, if you're going to kidnap someone, not that you should, but choose a less, incon- like a like a more inconspicuous car. Why would you drive around in a yellow mercury? Like, oh, nobody's going to remember this. Just me and my yellow car. See, I love this because it's like, like what? all those people that watch true crime and now like, so 
experts that you're like giving advice of like, hey, if you want to kill somebody, you got to do this, this, and this. I would be like, why are you saying that? Like, what? Yeah, I mean, don't kidnap anybody. But heck no. Like, why are you stupid? Like, clearly you're like not no plan. Anyways. So uh, this car, this yellow Mercury, they also had uh, traces of like the license plate that they got. Mm -hmm. So they kind of narrowed it down that way. And the car was traced to a Joe Corbett. And they ended up finding the car on fire in a New Jersey dump. That's not suspicious either. So I was like, is this like the whole state of New Jersey? They just found it in New Jersey. Because New Jersey Jersey smells and it's a dump. Uh, But they actually found the car. They analyzed the dirt that was in the undercarriage. And it matched the dirt where they found Adolf Kors' body. Mm -hmm. And where it was kidnapped. Where he was kidnapped. And the ransom letter was traced also back to his typewriter. So... Wow. Oh, my God. Amateur. And <laughs> you think that's amateur. He had also ordered handcuffs, leg irons, I don't know, a gun in the mail in the what? months before the kidnapping. Oh, let me just get my kidnapping kit together. Excuse me. Hi, sales lady. Excuse Can me. I please order duct handcuffs? tape, um, some no, like, what? leg irons. Oh, my God. And he was some... really not smart about this. And this was, at the time, one of the FBI's largest manhunts and just showed the importance of... I mean, he's a big figure. Of a main figure in, like, yeah. beer was such a I mean, because at that time, role. think about what beer options you had. That was it. It was Budweiser, Coors, Miller. Like, there was not a lot of options. So yeah. he was a main figurehead. But they ended up catching him in Canada. Oh, thank God, those Canadians. And a jury convicted him in 1961, but he was released in 1978. So I yeah. was like, all right, so they convicted him. They had all this evidence. They had everything they needed. And yet he gets out at nineteen in 1978 mm-hmm. from 1961. Welcome to the American justice system, James. Wow. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's insane. But on a lighter note, we also noticed that like a lot of craft breweries out there are either naming beers after like true crime or like murder. Like they're all yeah. very like sneaky, like doing stuff like well, that. Well, I also read that, um, so there's a wine called 19 Crimes and that they are going to be having beer now. So it's this, the wine bottles are, um, became popular because it's got like a criminal on the front of it and you can scan the, I think it's the QR code on the back and you can get like the whole story about, um, the like backstory of the person that's on it, but they're going to be doing beer now. So, wow. yeah, definitely is, uh, connecting with the true crime community and the craft beer scene. Yeah. Well, that's our yeah. episode for today. We hope you enjoyed this true crime mesh with beer. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Double Hop Beat Podcast. Follow us on our Instagram for our latest homebrewing and craft beer adventures. Direct message us at Double Hop Beat Podcast to share your experiences and become part of the pulse of brewing. You can also listen to us on our website, www.doublehopbeatpodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Cheers by rating and reviewing us. This This has has been been Double Hop Beat. Catch you on the brew side. side.